0: Ephesians chapter one, verses three through four, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. When I hear this verse, There's a lot of thoughts that I have. And I'm sure that when you hear this verse, there's a lot of thoughts that you may have. Some of them might be questions about what does it mean that God chose us? He chose us before the foundations of the world. And so some of the questions I want to pose for you that may have been in your heart or have been in the past and you've probably wrestled with or will wrestle with are how does God choose What influences his choosing? And why does he choose us? Now, I'm not able to fully explain to you every detail of the doctrine of election and the balance it has with our free will. I'm not able to do that, especially not in a sermon. What I am aiming to do is answer these questions from the word of God on how God chooses, what influences his choosing, and why he chose us. Now, throughout the Bible, we we see many men and women that God has chosen for a specific purpose and task that was much mightier than them. We see example after example, and we can relate with that because God has chosen us, who, like these men and women, are inadequate unqualified, and unlikely. You look at someone like Joseph, who was the youngest sibling of all his siblings and despised by them to the point that they sold him into slavery. Yet God chose this man to lead Egypt through a famine and lead over his brothers. He was unlikely. Moses had a stuttering problem A speech impediment, yet God used him to free the Israelites from Pharaoh. He was able to yell out, let my people go. God is yelling to Pharaoh. He was able to speak on behalf of God, though ahead of time was unqualified. Rahab was a prostitute, yet God used her to save Israelite spies. And In fact, Rahab is part of the genealogy that leads up to Jesus. Through her lineage comes the Messiah, a prostitute. The apostles were known for being untrained, uneducated men. I'm not claiming this about them. This is from the book of Acts. They were untrained, uneducated. Farmers, fishermen, tax collectors. Yet God uses them to start the church. The Apostle Paul was a murderer of Christians. That's why he calls himself the chief of sinners. I'm sure that he felt a lot of what you heard Peter Cook share in his testimony of, I look back in shame for those days, yet God used the Apostle Paul to disciple many, to evangelize to thousands, and to write part of the New Testament that we use today for instruction. God has consistently, throughout history, Chosen to use unlikely, unqualified, inadequate people for a purpose that was so much greater than what they thought they could do. And church, I come as an example of that today. I am an unqualified, inadequate man. And the Lord has chosen me to be able to preach his word. And I pray that he would be glorified as his word is preached because it is far beyond me. Church, If you're a believer in Christ, you have been chosen for a purpose that is much greater than what you think you can do. Here in 1 Samuel 16 is where we're going to plant today. We've been going through the the book of 1 Samuel uh, as a series in this church. And so you're probably wondering, Greg, when are we getting to that book? We're getting to it now. So turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And leading up to this point, we know that Saul has been king over Israel and he has failed as king. He has disobeyed God, rejected God on multiple occasions, and so the Lord rejects him from being king, and here in 1 Samuel 16, he chooses for himself a new king, and that king is David. And so we're going to see another example in this text of how God chooses. I'm going to read these verses after I pray, and then we'll get into the text. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all here. Thank you that you are so good to us and gracious to us when we do not deserve it. Thank you that you have set for us examples throughout all of history of how you have worked in mankind and we get to see that beautiful work. Lord, open our eyes to see how wonderful it is that we are chosen and how good you are today. Let your words speak and change us to love you deeper and take all the glory. Lord, we praise you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you have your Bibles open there, I'm reading from the New American Standard. I did not put it on the board, but I hope you can follow along in whatever version you have. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city, they came trembling to meet him, and they said, Do you come in peace? So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he came to Bethlehem. Oh, I read that. And he responds to them, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to come to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab, which is... Jesse's oldest son, and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And so Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? He said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep, And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Lord chose David to be king. Something I want us to know about God's choosing when we ask the question, how does he choose? God chooses beforehand. His choice is sovereign and preordained. It was planned well before the foundation of the earth. How do I know this? Because here he chooses David, but as we've walked through the book of 1 Samuel, we've seen foreshadowing of David to come. In chapter 13, verse 14, when Saul was rejected for being king, he says, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Back in chapter 13, the Lord had in mind David, a man after his own heart. Last week, when we were in chapter 15, We saw in verse 28 after Saul again had rejected the Lord, Samuel says to him, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king. And the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you. He's torn it and he's given it to your neighbor who is better than you. See, the Lord all this time had planned for David to be king. But it goes much earlier than 1 Samuel in these past few chapters. Back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in chapter 49, we see Jacob. Now, Jacob is the man who has 12 sons, and those sons become the tribes of Israel. And so God's chosen people, Israel, their tribes came from Jacob. And so at the end of Jacob's life, the Lord gives a prophetic word to him, That he speaks blessings and curses upon each of his children that represent how the tribes are going to live. Okay? So in Genesis 49, he addresses specific tribes that are to come, and one of those in verse 27 is the tribe of Benjamin. Jacob's prophecy for them is Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey, and in the evening, he divides the spoil. That's God speaking prophetically of what's to come from the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know where the King Saul came from? The tribe of Benjamin. Just last week, we saw that Saul's disobedience was him plundering the Amalekites, taking of their spoils and spreading it amongst others. That's a fulfillment of this prophecy that was given for the tribe of Benjamin. Yet, the tribe of Judah was given a blessing in verse 10 of Genesis 49. They're told that the scepter, the scepter that a king would hold shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Now, the word Shiloh means that who whose is. So when it says until Shiloh comes, until that whose is comes, is a weird translation, but it's saying the one who will hold the shep- scepter, the one who will rule, the one who will be king, is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Where's David from? The tribe of Judah. You see, God had planned this from the beginning. He knew what was coming, and, and even further than that, after David becomes king, we know that from his line, the line of Judah, from David, comes Jesus the king, the ultimate king. God planned all this out ahead of time. He knew what would happen. And so when we examine how Saul was chosen and how David was chosen, there's a, a big correlation and comparison between the two. For one, Saul was chosen by God, but he was chosen for the people. He wasn't chosen for God. You see, when they desired a king, They cried out to Samuel, we want a king. And and he warned them from God's perspective, look, if you desire a king, this king is going to take from you. He's going to, to take of your possessions, of your family. He's going to take of your household, your finances. This king is not going to be a good king. Are you sure that you want to deny God here and desire a king? But they keep yelling out, we want a king. And so God chooses Saul To be that king. And he provides for Israel a king that is according to their heart. And he does everything that God said he would do. He takes from them. He manipulates. And he feeds himself and glorifies himself instead of God. Yet David here was chosen for God. This sounds like a weird phrase. However, it's from scripture. In verse 1 of chapter 16, God actually says this to Samuel. He says, I have selected a king for myself, for myself. That king was for the disobedient people, but this king is for me because this king is going to honor me. This king is going to glorify my name. He is going to reflect my image to the world. He is going to serve me and make me look good. I desire this king. See, when the Lord chooses, he chooses those in him for himself, for his glory and goodness. And he desires and finds joy in choosing those. Now, the next question is, what influences God's choosing? Uh, We've stated that beforehand he chooses. However, does he do it by random? This is one of those questions that we come across. Does he just by, all right, this person might come to me, this person might not, I'm just gonna kind of roll the the die and hope for the best. No, God had a plan, it was specific, it was intentional, and he chooses differently than how we would. In verse six of 1 Samuel 16, if you have your Bibles, make sure you're there. In verse six, when Samuel first arrived and saw the sons of Jesse, he sees the oldest, Eliab, now, Eliab must have been a big, strong, tall man, according to verse seven. He was tall in stature and structure. And when Samuel sees him, remember, Samuel is a pretty godly dude. He's got a lot of insight from God and he's seen how God works, yet he comes here and he sees Eliab and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Because even Samuel is seeing the way that man sees from the outward appearance. He sees this oldest strong son, and he thinks, well, God is going to choose a son from Jesse to be king. This has got to be the guy. He looks like he'll be a strong king. And the Lord tells him in verse 7, that is not the case. Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. You see, God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. We can't help it. It's all we can see. We don't have the ability of searching the hearts. But you know who does? the Lord. And so the Lord looks at the heart. In Jeremiah 17 verse 10, God says, I the Lord search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways and according to the results of his deeds. God can search our hearts. He tests our minds. He knows our deepest thoughts and desires. He knows who we really are. You see, when scripture talks about the heart, it's not talking about the internal organ. It's talking about our inner deepest thoughts and desires. It's talking about what we really trust in, what we really love, what we really feel, and what we really think. Sometimes we don't even know our hearts that well. And that's why David, throughout the Psalms, if you notice, he he repeatedly uses this phrase. He says, search me, O God. Search my heart. Because he wants God to reveal to him where his love is. So God knows the heart, and it influences his choosing. I know this because David did not have the qualities that a normal king would have. When he's introduced to us in verse 12, he's introduced as someone who is ruddy. Have you ever heard that word? It's a weird word. He was ruddy. Now, the Hebrew here is, is kind of implying the word ruddy means kind of red in the face, It's used to describe Esau, you know, the red man from back in the day. That's what we call him. (laughs) So he's ruddy. What this means is he's kind of tan from being out in the field. Remember, he's a little shepherd boy. He's young and he's out tending to the sheep and there's sweat on his face. There's dirt on his face from being outdoors and working hard and and there's tan. And so he comes in and he doesn't look like a clean shaped up king. He looks like a, a little ruddy kid out in the field. Because he was, he was young. He's also described as having beautiful eyes. (laughs) Aw, beautiful eyes. I'd feel kind of embarrassed if, you know, although it's a compliment, it feels kind of embarrassing to be described that way, right? And that's how David's described and he was of handsome appearance. Now at first we're thinking, okay, so the Lord's describing David pretty well. Does that mean that he does look at the appearance? No, no, no. You see, this description is actually not good for a king. You don't want a pretty boy to be your king. You don't want a young, adorable, beautiful-eyed shepherd boy to be your king. That's not who you envision to be a king, right? And that's not what Israel expected. When they chose Saul, when they wanted him, it's because he was the tallest man there. He was strong, he was buff, he looked like a manly man, he was older, that's what what they wanted. They wanted someone who would win the battles, who would lead them well, who looked the part. David did not look the part. But God chose him. Not because of his appearance, but because of what's described of him in chapter 13 that we mentioned, that he had a heart that was after God's own heart. And so then we ask the question, well, what is a heart for God? What is God looking for? If he's choosing according to the heart, what is it that I'm aiming for? What should I try to do with my heart to meet that expectation of his choosing? Well, first off, I want you to know that the heart God's looking for is not a perfect, pure heart. You can't accomplish that. I can't accomplish that. No matter how good I think I am, I cannot have a pure heart. In fact, because of sin, because of my flesh, My goodness is always going to be motivated by selfishness. That's why our our good deeds are are seen as dirty rags compared to God, because even in our heart, when I do good things, apart from God, it's usually because I want people to accept me or to, to love me, or I want to feel good or look good. But God doesn't choose a perfect heart or a pure heart or one that's already pretty good. He chooses a heart that is trusting in him, That's what he wants. You see, when David's described as a man after God's own heart, what that means is David was trusting God. He was seeking God's heart. He was desiring him. And he had a heart of repentance. We know this because it's on his sleeve throughout all the Psalms that he wrote. David didn't hide his heart. He revealed it to God in his prayers, and we get to read that. When he cries out, even his doubts and his struggles. Lord, I'm suffering. What's going on? Are you really there? Are you listening? His heart's open, but then after all that, he always says, Lord, I trust in you. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I'm trusting in you. God, you are the rock of my salvation. He never trusted in himself for salvation. He always trusted in God, the one who saves. And so, What God is looking for is a heart for him. Now, there is a difference between David and us because we have Jesus. See, David was putting his trust in Yahweh and the instructions that he gave and the promise of a future Messiah. He was putting his trust in those things, but we have the Messiah himself has already come and given us the free gift that is offered to us of eternal life. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, which we read in the beginning of the service, when God talks about choosing us, he has a specific way of phrasing it. Paul says he chose us in him. Who's the him? Jesus. God chose us in Christ. What that means is those who are in Jesus are the ones who are chosen. Those two have to be compatible. They cannot be separated. God does not choose those who do not have faith in Jesus. Now, I don't fully understand this. Let me be clear, I don't fully understand in what part God ahead of time had chosen me, yet I have to put my trust in Jesus, but I know that both of these things are accurate in scripture and true of God. That he chooses us beforehand, but he never chooses anyone who doesn't put their faith in him. And so he's looking for the heart. That is a heart that is trusting him for salvation, trusting him for the forgiveness of sin, turning away from sin, and seeking and desiring him. So believer, if you're here today and you're confident, I have put my trust in Jesus, I am in him, I am his, you are one of the chosen. And if you're here today and you don't know that for sure, or maybe you're confident that you aren't in Christ, that you don't believe in Jesus, I want to encourage you on something. Those who God has chosen, he has called. You're here today because God has ordained it. You're here today because God knew you would be here and he is calling you to trust in Jesus. He is calling you to put your faith, turn away from your sins, trust in him for salvation because he paid the price on the cross for your sins that you can't pay. And if you trust in him, that free gift of eternal life is given to you freely and then he gives you the Holy Spirit of promise as a sealing so that you know you're his. And once you receive that gift of salvation, you'll never lose it. It is yours, you are in him, he's got you in his hands and he is going to work. So if you're here today and you don't know, maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I'm one of the chosen, I'm not sure if I trust this, I want to encourage you, he's calling you to be one of his chosen. He's calling you to put your trust in Jesus today, to be in him and he wants your heart. He wants your heart. He loved you so much that he sent his son for you. That's how much God wants you. And so why does God choose us? That's a difficult question, right? We we love grace, but it really puts a perspective on us of of God, I can't understand. I can't understand why Christ had to die for me. I don't deserve it, that's the point. I have not earned anything, that's the point. God, when you died for me, I wasn't for you. In fact, I was your enemy. I was deep in my sin. I was rebellious against you. That's the point. While we were sinners, God loved us. And so, why? Why does He choose us? Well, first off, He chose us for a purpose. You see, God can do His work on His own, He has no need for us. But God loves us so much that He desires to use us to fulfill His will. That preordained plan that he mentioned, he has given us the Holy Spirit to accomplish that purpose. When David is anointed as king in verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16, he's anointed with oil in the midst of his brothers and we're told the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him because God had a purpose for him. And that purpose wasn't for him to accomplish the task on his own. No, 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 no. God gave him the Spirit so that he can accomplish that task that was much greater than him. So God was at work in David. And what that leads to is this young shepherd boy becoming the greatest king Israel ever had until Jesus. And for us believers, functions a little differently. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon those who trusted God and and come in and out according to how God was working in them, that was pre-Christ. You see, after Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, he said, I will send my helper to you. We have a greater blessing than Old Testament believers, because the Holy Spirit just doesn't come upon us to do a task. The Holy Spirit indwells us. In Ephesians 1, after saying we've been chosen in him. Verse 13 says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're his. Now, sometimes we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can ignore his call in our hearts, but he is active and he ain't leaving us. The Holy Spirit is in us because there's a purpose that God has for us. One of my favorite verses that the teens all know because I, I don't stop saying it, <laughs> and that's good. Repetition's good. Right after Ephesians two eight and nine, when God says salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, so no man may boast. We know that He did all the work. Right after that, in Ephesians two ten, Paul says, "For we are His workmanship." That word means masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Those who are created in Christ Jesus, for good works. So those who are in Christ have been made a new creation. You've been created for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God planned everything out. He has a specific plan of things he wants you to do to accomplish his will. Believer, you have a purpose that's so much greater than the things of this world, and God's calling you to it. He prepared it for you. He wants you to walk in them. And his purpose is so much greater than anything we can do here. I'm so privileged that I get to serve the Lord, to preach his word, and to share the gospel with others. That is beyond anything I could have done without him. My life would have been meaningless if I didn't know Jesus. And so walk in the good works that he's prepared for you. He chose you for a purpose, but he also chooses the weak so that he can show his strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul shares this sentiment. You know, remember this man who was a murderer of Christians, now a full-fledged, on-fire man of God, he thinks very lowly of himself. Not in a way that causes him to to be depressed or to step away from the ministry the Lord has, but in a way that helps him to examine his heart and know, God, you are the one at work. He says, my grace, uh, oh, oh, he repeats what God is speaking to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with my weaknesses, with insults and distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we encounter Hardship, when we see our weakness, when we're exposed to our sin, and a lot of times that causes us to feel this guilt that causes us to run away, or when distresses come, when persecution comes. But remember, the Bible tells us to find joy in these things, and we do that because in our weakness, He shows off how strong He is. I shared this in the first service, and the sentiment's true for this service. Before I came up to preach, I felt inadequate. And this happens most services where I'm running through my outline that I prepared and I'm going over and I'm just thinking, Lord, I don't wanna stumble. I don't wanna mess up anything. I I wanna be particular in my verbiage and I worry a bit and I have to surrender to the Lord and say, God, I'm weak. I feel inadequate, but you are the one at work. And I'm trusting in you. And so when I get up to preach, I hope that it's his strength being shown. I hope that it's his glory being shown. Believer, when you go to serve the Lord, you're gonna feel off. You may feel shy or embarrassed or I'm not good at communicating or I'm not eloquent in my speech. No one is at first. The spirit is powerful and his strength will be showed in you when you trust in him. He chooses sinners to show how great his grace is. If we understand the depth of sin, we're able to see how deep his love is, because that's how how deep his forgiveness goes. The more that I'm able to dwell on, I know Peter mentioned in his testimony, he looks back in shame on the, the wasted years, but when he looks back, you know what he's able to see? What he mentioned in his testimony, God's patience, his forgiveness, his grace. That is so much greater than my sin. It outruns my sin. That's how deep God's love is for you. He wants to use those who are weak and sinners to show his strength and grace. So don't allow anyone to look down on your appearance. Don't allow anyone to to look down on your capability. When I say anyone, I mean yourself too, because I know that struggle. To look down on myself and say, I'm not able to do this. Or, you know, maybe I don't look the part. Or my speech isn't clear. Or I'm just awkward. And maybe you feel that or you feel downcast because of the way that others treat you. Don't let anyone look down on your appearance because you are a child of God. And those who are his are his indeed. He wants to use you despite you. Don't hold him back. Submit and allow him to use you, and he will use you for whatever purpose he desires to show his glory. Church, when we started this sermon, we asked three questions. How does God choose? The answer to that question is God sovereignly chooses us beforehand. So then what influences his choosing? Church, God chooses according to the heart. So have a heart for him. Lastly, why does he choose us? God chose us to show his glory, to show his strength, and to show his grace to a world that needs it. And he will be glorified in it. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And I don't mean that in a simple sense. Lord, you are the definition of good. There is no one like you, God, There is no one who's loved me the way you loved me. There's no one who's loved the people here more than you loved them. You loved them so much, you set your own son to pay the price that we owed, death. And you have called us to your calling, which is greater than anything this world has to offer. Lord, help us to see, to revel, and to dwell on how good your love for us is. And to not run away to the things of this world or to any kind of anxiety or stress or worry, but instead, Lord, to run to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because ahead of time, you loved us and chose us. Call us to you today to serve you and glorify you and show your grace to the world. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name, amen.